The Academic Podcast Agency. Welcome to the Why Tell Stories podcast, a new podcast series exploring why we as humans feel compelled to carry out the strange act that is telling stories. Over the next however many episodes we manage to make, we are going to continually ask from as many different angles as we can imagine this question of why tell stories. Daniel, what are your credentials for even asking such a question? <laughs> so I'm Daniel Marcus Clark. I've been a storyteller for many years, playing with stories in different forms, but I'm also a passionate story lover. Um, in all the shapes and sizes. And I'm currently residing at a wonderful place called the Story Museum in Oxford, where I am director of creative program, um, exploring this very question and finding ways to bring wonderful stories to life for visitors from all over the world. I love that fancy title. Do you, do you have that on a business card? Tell me you do. I actually, I, usually when I go into the office, I write it in reverse on my forehead <laughs> so, that every, so that everyone can see. And I can yes. see it when I look in the mirror. So my name's Will Hood. Uh, I have a background originally in documentary film. I spent a good decade plus making documentaries about all sorts of things. I then also went on to do a, uh, a master's degree in anthropology and discovered really that that is my own personal predisposition for looking at the world. This idea that meaning and culture is something which is a creative act and... Um, and has an awful lot to do with stories. Uh, I now make podcasts as part of the Academic Podcast Agency, and uh, we hope that this will be a podcast which is going to blow your mind. In, uh, <laughs> and in not diff- ours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we attempt to wrangle this very heavy question of what stories are and why we need to tell them. And so, so myself and Will met about 15 years ago through music. We're both musicians as well as being story lovers and started working together on a series of experiments of, in audio storytelling, um, some of which will be shared with you um, during the series. And if anybody uh, wonders at any point what the ruffling sound is, Dan has a very impressive beard which you can't see, but I'm looking at right now. And, should, we, uh, should we audio describe ourselves? I think that's, that's polite, <laughs> isn't it? So I'm, uh, I'm Daniel. I am um, a white, bald, Jewish male with a large beard and moustache <laughs> and a pair of clear spectacles um, and an open shirt with a pink T-shirt on underneath and a large pair of headphones. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know how to follow that. Uh, I am a uh, Caucasian male that enjoys uh, late night music, dancing and pina coladas. It's, uh, I think we've met on Tinder before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> okay, so in these episodes, we are going to, uh, we're going to play some, some stories. We're going to play you some stories. We're going to start off certainly with pieces that we've made together. And then we're going to reflect on uh, what they are and why we've made them. And then hopefully as we progress through different episodes, we're going to perhaps bring in stories from different places and also different experts or people that have something to say 
in relation to the theme or the story that we're discussing. Should we listen to Bully? Should we start there? Let's start off with Bully. Yeah, let's do that. So we're going to have a listen firstly to Bully, which is a piece that myself and Will made about 13 years ago. And a slight disclaimer, I don't think either of us have heard this for about a decade. So it'll be an interesting listen for us and hopefully for you. Okay, here we go. Okay, this story starts with three characters. There's two men and a woman. They've all been living in this house as one. And they've been there for a couple of years before hard times had really begun. But all through this, one of the guys had this bullying disposition. It made him harder to be around than a John Cage composition. See, he was violent and possessive and controlling and large. And in his mind, he saw himself as always needing to be in charge. He had issues with both the girl and the guy. But he used to pick on the guy especially so much of the time. He used brute force, mind games, didn't let new people into his life. And when others acted towards him in kindness, he just knocked them down in spite. Well, in these situations, I ask myself, why do people stay? Why live a life of being bullied when you can just walk away? But I guess when some plants are left long, they kind of forget that they can flower. It's so easy for us humans to forget that we hold power. So instead they stayed, and the situation grew and bubbled up. Until the morning when the scene starts of a breakfast table with coffee cups. started politely, well, I guess politely enough. It was a Sunday morning and through the window shone bright piercing sun, but around the breakfast table the atmosphere was oppressive like always. It's almost like bullies don't take days off, not even on Sundays, and conversation's just a little thin on the ground. But only because they're too afraid to talk in case one of them gets put down. But a conversation does manage to start and they talk about their days for a little while, till the joke's cracked. In the big guy's direction, the other two smile. Now any joke in his direction's like a personal attack. A dormant sea of insecurities that runs deep, it seems to tap. He wants to get them back through the only way he knows, violence, control. His humour sits in prison while his evil's out on parole. And he digs at vulnerable points, calls them names and threatens with his muscles. Always threatens, rarely fights. People always back off before the tussle. And he digs, and he digs. And when the other guy digs back, then... Big guy explodes and he begins to attack. He stands back, pushes his chair away, begins shoving and poking. Shoulders back, chest out. Brother, chill out. He just gets madder with each word spoken. Things start getting thrown around. Chairs are broken, glasses shattered. Girls screaming at him to stop, but it's not like her opinion ever mattered. He just needs to show them that he can't be taken for a fool. That they can't call him names and laugh at him. He's not some kid now at school. And all he can see is numb. All he can see is red. He grabs a knife from the sideboard and raises his arms above his head and... Sorry, if I just pause it then, I'm sorry to interrupt it. Just look a bit as well, eh? Just it's getting a bit gory. Where's the stop button? Um, thanks. See, I need to explain this big guy about who he is and where he's from. What are his past events and acts that cause him to blow up like a bomb? Oh, 
rough childhood, born into a negative cycle. Born August 1964, birth name given was Michael. Violent father, nervous mother, and he got attention when he was bad. Needed love instead, got hate, closest that he had. But attention nonetheless, when his times of stress, instead of breaking down, he broke someone's face, schoolyard, first in town. And everyone he met told him he was bad. We all need affirmations, but this is the only one he'd ever had. But beneath the giant shoulders, strutting chest, big guy thought he was shit. Insecure about his self-worth, any chance he'd prove it. But drinking, smoking, fighting, farting, fucking the most. But what he did it, what he needed to do it, to keep running from his ghosts. But ghosts just gain, single pain, the more that we run from their cries. To face a fear and see it clearly is the only way to truly start his demise. And I've been trying all my time. To get some love inside my mind But some days always seem so fine Seems hard to make things right And I've been trying all my days To get this love and help it stay But now I always seem It seems hard to make things right It's 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 hard to make things Now before we unpause, let's jump back in time two days previous, where Big Guy's father lies on his deathbed, just about to draw his last breath. So he's lived a lifetime of anger, of pain and denial, and lashed out for each beat he took as a child. We fought for his life, and then he lived for the fight, and now he lies alone in this cold bare room with only pains to hold him tight. And in his last precious moments, he begins to see with clarity as he reflects on his life, on the person he's been. The mistakes he's made, times he's acted without love, times he pushed others' heads under just to keep his own head above, and with that he thinks of his son, how he picked him and hit him till he too came undone. And in this moment before he dies, he speaks as the regrets well up in his eyes. Ascended. He seemed to leave behind the intent of the words he'd just grown from his mind. Where his wishes were heard, the intent turned to air, and it made its way over to the window till there was enough wind to carry it off on its way over fields and rivers. Arrival time in two days. 
before the story was twice interrupted. Big guy grabbed the knife. Inside his mind, he was furious, ready to take another's life. His heart was beating in paradiddles. Anger filled up his eyes. They're both screaming at him to stop, but his ears deaf to their cries. Now down the road at number 42, Mrs. Endersby heard the screams. It was the fifth set she'd heard this morning and worried about a potential scene, she picked up a telephone receiver and dialed 999, where a woman called Erica Rogers answered the call and put it into a line. Where it got forwarded, sent across the Hackney Police HQ, they saw the need for assistance where it showed up on their VBU. They sent the car straight out to keep a lookout and check all was okay, though to be honest they just thought it was a minor domestic. After all it was a Sunday. Now down the street, after two days of travelling, the air of intent blew close. Made its way past all the houses, all tidily sat in rows. Past the bin bags in the driveways and piles of leaves all raked up neat. Till it reached his shabby house that was sat at the end of the street. Where another gust of wind took it and blew it in through a crack. Into a window left slightly ajar in a room just round the back. the house, the situation's mounted, heated up. Big guys kick the other guy in the stomach, who sits bent over, doubled up. He raises the knife in the air, the girl makes a grab and grabs onto his arms. And while they tussle, the other guy sees the distraction and rolls himself from harm. Now in the back of the house, the air blows round corners and over under doorways. And through cracks and open windows, it soon starts finding its way to the point where the hostility's building up to breaking point. And it slips in through an open crack, so the action it can join. Outside on the doorstep, WPC Atkins and PC Johnson stand waiting. Inside the house, big guy's exploding, screaming, shouting with all his might. His body's shaking, now he's furious. In trembling hands, he holds the knife. Now with a bit of blood upon the end, where he's accidentally scratched himself on the head, he raises his arms to mark the end. The air sees this opportunity right there, and it shoots up his nostril along the nasal cavity, down through the pharynx, the esophagus, the trachea and the bronchi. He breathes in, and this strange wind fills up his lungs, along the bronchioles, into each capillary which surrounds every alveolus. Now this air of intent holds wishes that his father left behind, and his job here is to wind up fuck-ups from father left in mind so as he exhales the air rushes up straight into his brain up through his spinal column with his air changes onto his brain stem his breathing slows blood pressure lows air flows into his cerebellum causing his shoulders to drop and his back to straighten clearing his space for this change to come it runs into his cerebrum raising a childhood memories of harm flows into his hypothalamus as bottled up anger dissipates and flows out now from the outside the other two are watching this occurring Watching his belly pop out, his shoulders shake, and his face and body convulse, contour into shapes of anger, pain and pleasure, joy and sadness. And they stood there transfixed, watching him wonder as his mind mess. Overflowed in an overload of pure, raw emotions. As years of bottled up stuff bubbled up as if the top had come off, and every experience and emotion that he'd held inside him was now running through his body, coursing through every muscle in. His body falls to the ground and he screams as he shakes, as he lets out demons built from 30 years of hate. And while he lays there convulsing, the other two just stand. See arms that have been bitten, Rarely offer out a hand. And he cries for all he's never received. But it's not too late to give it. 
Instead of letting this man suffer, please help him. Help him. Help him. Now I'm not saying what was about to happen happened because of love. But while big guy lays there flailing and the other two just watch from above, the girl feels this change in her. And without thinking, she walks over to him. His arms and legs now are just a blur. And without thinking, she reaches down. And she holds him. Just holds him. And now he contorts and convulses. She is still as her arms now enfold him. And as he moves and breaks, her arms hold him closer still. And she whispers to him gently as he convulses and shrills. It's okay. Outside in the street, the police hear the screams, decide it's about time to go in and check out the scene. They raise Boo and kick the front door down, and they run into the room found at the back of the house, where screams are going, radios blowing. We need assistance, do you read me? They run to the house, they scream, Please, freeze! He's rested now. He feels at peace. She holds him still. Now the first thing that the police saw when they entered into the scene was Big Guy on the floor with the girl with her arms around him. And the second thing they saw, glinting, down there by their side, with blood upon the end, sat a rusty kitchen knife. But the last thing that they saw that they would remember all their lives was the peace and the kindness that shone at them out of Big Guy's newborn eyes. Sounds great, man. Sounds really, really cool. Yeah, it's I'd, been a long time since I've forgotten all of it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I'd forgotten in particular the, the whole wind at the end. That's a really pleasing construct. You know, the idea that the wind was um, this mystical wind coming from the ether or, or wherever it was coming from coming to soothe him or give him his cathartic moment. You know, yeah, the, the father's intention that was sent, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, talk me through that then. So what, the dead father had sent that to him, or what was Yeah, the... so it's like it was the father's dying wish to undo what he'd done. Right, okay. And so he, as he breathed out, it kind of manifested into something, travelled on the wind and made its way to this kind of scene where it, where it transformed the sun. yeah. It's great. There's a lot about it. I like. I really like the whole breaking the fourth wall business as well. You know, stopping the tape, addressing the audience, and uh, jumping around in in time and space like that. It's very funny for me. After you know, we made that. I think twelve or thirteen years ago, and it's a very strange experience to hear it back. And I, I you know, I can I can very clearly recognise why I wrote that story. I can really, now listening back to it, I'm like, geez, it was about that. And it was about, you know, there was a point in time when I was about 15 or 16 where we all, a group of friends, ended up in this, in this close uh, circle with a guy who was massively violent, like hugely violent, would like smash people's faces into 
bike handles and things like that. So there was this point in my, as I stepped towards adulthood, where I was living around constant aggression and this constant fear of aggression. I think it's quite, um, I don't know if it's the same story for everyone, but I think for young males, there's a lot of it. You know, I remember constant fear of being attacked, being a narrative that ran probably from when I was 14 up until I was about 18, you know, 19. I watched for the first time I saw Encanto this morning. Oh yeah, is that uh, animated? Yeah, it's like a Disney film. It's, it's a beautiful film. Is it the We've Mexican got, one? She's the daughter. The yeah, I have yeah. seen that. I have seen it. And it kind of gets to the end and, and you realise it's kind of, it's essentially a story about generational trauma, which is a kind of a word, having lived in Totnes is a, a term that gets gets um, battered around quite a lot. But very much that story is is got the kind of same heart of sometimes they're kind of, if we don't deal with stuff, it carries with us and it kind of ends up showing up as ripples in our children and their children. And it's, so I guess that, I, I'd never thought of it like that until this morning, but I guess that story is essentially about that, about how yes, how we end up, if we don't deal with our stuff, we end up marking those around us with it. I mean, I think there's lots of interesting stuff to muse upon with that, but I mean... Um, for anybody that's ever been through any kind of therapy or, or had that experience in their in their life, you know, they'll recognize that that is essentially a process of telling stories, right? Yeah. Sharing yeah. stories that you have and uh, a therapist um, giving you a reflection on those stories and why perhaps they don't work for you anymore. Or, you know, so, I mean, I think there's a whole story as... Um, as therapy or, or mental health um, context to that as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there, there are stories everywhere. Yeah. And I, and I guess that, you know, I, I don't know much about therapy. It's not something I've ever been through, but um, I guess I've been through similar experiences in drama training. Right. But um, that whole thing of recognising that you are a character in your story rather than being bound by it, you know, you are not your story is a... You, it's something you you retell to yourself, yeah, and you can equally just let it out and start again. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, I I have experienced therapy a, a number of times, not for long periods, but just for short short periods. And I mean, I'm completely unqualified in many ways to have an opinion about it, but I would think that a good therapist is essentially a kind of sounding wall a reflection of the stories that you are telling about yourself and then what i certainly found helpful is when they will gently point out well that's a contradiction you know that part of your story doesn't make any sense or if you express something as an absolute for example they'll say well you know that that's a creative act that isn't an absolute that doesn't exist for everybody in the world that way I mean, you, you end up wanting to say something uh, very pretentious, like we are the stories we tell ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. which is true. I mean, it's a very powerful idea, that, isn't it? The idea that actually you carry around these inevitable problems that you experience in your life. And if you don't let them out in some kind of narrative that makes sense to you, then uh, it's not good, right? Yeah. I mean... So, I mean, to answer that question of why tell stories, I mean, it, it's essential in some ways to share yourself and to have other people share themselves with you. Essential for your health. 
it's a very subconscious process, isn't it? The, the act of the act of writing or of telling a story, and I think it kind of it sits in this space, in a way that's uh, in the same space as dreams. You know, in the, it's it's a processing tool. I, I look at that story and I'm like, that's very much me as an adult with distance trying to process and empathize towards the steps that made that person the way they are, mm. you know, to, to understand and to, um, to, to see it with kindness in a way, you know, to see the, those moments. And actually, you know, it's easy to demonize people. It's easy to be like, this person is that, you know, they're X or Y. But actually, we're all a construct of our experiences, you know, we're, we're made up of the things that happen to us. Yeah. The, the interesting and, word there for me is uh, use the word empathy. So that idea that you can inhabit somebody else's story, you mm. know, and almost assimilate it into your own and appreciate that whilst you have a, a coordinate to their story, actually they're going through their own drama or narrative mm. or whatever you want to call it. You reminded me of a... Um, of a conversation I witnessed between a, a good friend of mine and his at the time girlfriend who she was a, an English teacher, like a primary school English teacher. And he was going on this mildly intoxicated rant basically about why would anybody read fiction? And he was basically ma making the point, you know, why would anybody read fiction when there's so much good factual narrative out there? Um, and her single word reply was empathy. And I thought that was a very neat and very accurate uh, description of why fiction in particular, as mm. opposed to just raw information, no matter how well it's presented, mm. it actually allows you to inhabit people that in different times and different places and different genders, that, that mm. they're not your stories, right? Mm. But do you know what I mean? I, I think totally. em empathy is a very important part of the the exchange isn't it yeah and i think it's i think it's you know as as the creator of something or the, or the or as the person creating something you are quite often using it as a tool to empathize or understand others experiences or your experiences and it's always your experiences at the end of the day but then as the listener or the reader or the viewer you're getting that chance to empathize with someone else's world and 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 i had this um i don't know if you're the same but ever since i was a kid i will cry to i will cry at films and um and audio storytelling in a way that i never will in my own life you know it allows a space mm, to really empathize to really be emotional and to be taken on an emotional journey and i think i wouldn't say the best stories take you on emotional journeys i think the best stories are many things but there's definitely something incredibly rewarding as a as a as a receiver of a story to be taken on a really um, a real emotional journey where you come out of it emotionally wiser. Mm. It feels good as well, doesn't it? Sometimes to have a really good cry at a film. Oh, come on, yeah, we all need to do yeah. it, don't we? Whereas you know? if you did that, as you say, in real life, like if I cried at my wife like that over something that was going on with us. You know, there would be, it would seem disproportional. You know, it would seem totally. like I was addressing some serious problem or whatever. Whereas I'm not necessarily doing that when I'm responding to, uh, you know, a film. I mean, books have made me cry as well. But, you know, that really 
good, hearty. God, I needed that yeah. cathartic release of emotion. I, I hadn't ever thought about it before, but it's interesting. The idea that, that somehow the stakes are lower <clears throat> or the reality is somehow suspended in this story space. So you're allowed to offload there because no one's going to get hurt, right? And, and I guess that's that thing, isn't it? The, the why fiction or why storytelling, you're one step removed. It's not your own life. You're not carrying your own story in it. You're just transported into something else. And so the, the distance, the metaphor, the, the separateness of hearing someone else's story allows you to empathise in a different way, I think. It allows you to be emotional and to give yourself over to it. Okay, so I've had a very enjoyable first episode. I'm hoping Dan has too. He's grinning at me inanely like the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland. If you're listening to this and you've enjoyed it, please do get in touch. Uh, Please tell your friends, share this if you like it. That would be really, really useful. It will certainly encourage us to make more shows like this. All of these references, by the way, for anybody that is listening and thinks, oh, I'd like to know more about that. We're going to put links to everything uh, relevant that we talk about in the show notes. Next uh, episode, which will probably be in a couple of weeks, um, we're going to come back with another one of the collection of of, um, pieces that we made together. Am I right in remembering it right? There was a a triptych, a a trio, a uh, a trilogy. There was a trilogy, yeah. There was Bully, Comedy and Moment Catcher. Maybe we should listen to Moment Catcher next week. All right, all right. So That's, uh, that's short and sweet. Yeah, okay. So Moment Catcher next week. And we will continue to try and answer this question of uh, why we tell stories. Okay, signing off. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us indeed. Cheers, Will. Yeah, bye. Bye.